Who says the Bible has to be boring? On the contrary, the Bible is the most thrilling book in the world. It's the only book with an invitation to join the very narrative you are reading. My goal is to be like your time-traveling tour guide, taking you into an exploration of scripture in search of precious treasure, timeless, life-giving truths that inform us of who God is, who we are, and how the story of everything really is His story. I invite you to join me as we learn to read the story, trust the story, and live the story, because there's no greater adventure than knowing the God of the Bible. I'm Brayden Brookshire, and this is Adventures in Theology. So what happens when we have the wrong treasure? What happens when we have an evil or a darkened eye? And what happens when we have the wrong master? All of which goes back to the previous episode in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. So listen to that if you haven't. What happens when you uh, have all these things, when you have the wrong alignment of priorities in life? Worry. Anxiety. Now, from the forefront, you know, when we talk about the subject of worry, I just want to be very clear that, first of all, worry is a real thing, anxiety, and there are conditions and chemical imbalances, and there's things to be aware of medically that pertain to this conversation. So please don't mishear me, and uh, of course, with this subject of worry, we're not talking about worry um, exhaustively. We're not talking about worry in all contexts, in all situations, so that is not the point. As we dig into this, it, since it's connected to the previous passage, we're talking about worry in a very honed-in and specified way. We're talking about worry, the kind of worry, the kind of anxiety that stems from having the wrong master in life. And, uh, and of course, the contrast between these two, and it plays out more broadly, of course, but the contrast between these two is mainly when God is your master versus the contrast of when mammon is your master. Mammon being this transliterated Aramaic word that encompasses a few things. You know, some of your translations in Matthew 6, 24 say like, uh, you know, you cannot serve both God and money. And money is certainly part of the concept of mammon, but it's not only that. It's mammon is money. Mammon is possessions. Mammon is providence. Mammon is the daily provisional ordinary needs that just sustain life. And so in, uh, in this regard, we're talking about worry. We're talking about worry in the very ordinary day-to-day sense. That's the kind of worry we are talking about here. Now, as we look at Matthew 6, 25-34, there are so many things I still... There's a lot of light bulb moments that haven't happened yet with this passage, even though, man, I have read this passage, even studied it multiple times in my life. And... Um, There's a few light bulb moments that are on the brink of happening. So I'm going to take to the blog, uh, the Adventures in Theology blog, and articulate more of these from both the previous passage and this one. Um, I've enjoyed every aspect of the Sermon on the Mount, but these past two, this last week and this week's podcast episode, I'm going to take more time to flesh out some thoughts and applications via the blog. So, hey, if you haven't already, check out the Adventures in Theology website and uh, check out the blog as some posts will be coming pretty soon on these two passages. And if you're listening to this months from now, uh, when it's been recorded and released, (laughs) the blogs are probably up. Great. Okay, so why do you worry? 
That is the question for today. Why do you worry? And again, worry in the context of the ordinary daily provision. Okay, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Let's just start reading, okay? Verse 25, Jesus saying, Therefore I tell you, don't ever worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Verses 25 and 26 already introduce us to this problem of worry. And the present imperative in verse 25, you know, in the Greek here, so this present tense imperative, this present in command, this present prohibition, if you will, to saying not worry, uh, by using the present tense, what he's saying is like, hey, you know what, this might be an ongoing problem for you, so don't ever worry about it. Because this, this prohibition is going to be uh, continually relevant as you go through your life to remember not to worry. It's gonna, and, and, and I was talking about this with someone, and this is not this kind of like imperative or command that has a harsh tone to it. We have to think more broadly about commands here. Some commands do have a more of a stern tone, and some have more of a soft, gentle, and kind of invitational tone. And you can tell just by reading the text, I hope you can see it coming through in this passage. Jesus, is, it's almost like a concern. It's almost like a, man, I'm inviting you to a life of wholeness. I'm inviting you that life without worry in this regard is possible. You know, some of us are so used to worry about the daily, ordinary things that we didn't even, we didn't even ever consider that life without worry was possible. We just thought this, especially in America, we just think this is just part of life. But I think what Jesus is saying here is that if you're my disciple, I want to show you a way that leads to a life worry-free. Now, doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't, doesn't that sound super refreshing to consider the possibility? And not that we will never have any worries. Again, that's not what I'm saying here. But how about worry over those things? Those daily, ordinary, providential things that we you know, spend so much of our time, and rightfully so, like working towards. You know, we have jobs, we have bills, and we have things like that. Let me just make an observation. We spend so much time worrying about tomorrow, and this is where the passage will go at the end, you'll see it. We spend so much time worrying about tomorrow that we take ourselves out of today. We remove ourselves from being present in today's uh, both the challenges of the day and the things that are going great and that the joyous occasions of the day, we remove ourselves presently from today because we're so worried about the theoretical tomorrow. And what Jesus is saying is, no, don't worry about your life. <laughs> what you will eat, what you'll drink, and uh, what you will wear, isn't the body more than these things? And he goes into his first case study here. L let me tell you the first thing that you're going to learn from nature, okay? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Great, now let's all quit our jobs because God will provide for us. Yay, no. <laughs> uh, first of all, good Biblical theology considers more passages on any given topic. And for example, I believe it's in it's in either first or second Thessalonians says the man who doesn't work doesn't eat. 
<laughs> and Paul was very frustrated with some people who thought, oh, well, Jesus is coming back soon, so uh, not going to work. No, 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 no. Christians should be the best employees, the hardest workers, and uh, most generous people, etc. I like what Martin Luther famously said about this passage. God provides food for the birds, but he does not drop it into their beaks. They have to still go get it. And in a similar sense, like, God provides, you know, for us opportunities and so on. And kind of, we still have to go get it. We still have to go work. And uh, let me just be sensitive to something here. I know that there are many people, and probably people that aren't listening to this podcast, to be honest, because that's part of the socioeconomic class they're in, that do not experience or do not feel like God's providential care is real. There are, there's real poverty in the world and severe poverty in the world. Now, I've, I've two things I just want to quickly say on this, and I know this isn't covering everything, and this isn't even the point of the passage, so let me just say that too, but two things on that. One, from my experience and the experience of many others I've talked to, when you go and actually spend time with those people in extreme poverty in other parts of the world, it's amazing how they minister to you by telling you you're the one that's poor. You see, when true push comes to shove, who's the one that's really enslaved to the wrong master? Honestly, I think us here in America, for example, um, living in America, it's easier to fall into the trap and be prone to the master of mammon versus people who, um, who really are present in every day's uh, life and leaning on God's provision because they're one bad work day away from even severe poverty or not having food. <clears throat> and it's important to remember that, that that is actually a better reflection of Jesus' original audience. Guys, Jesus didn't originally speak in a Western luxurious context. He wasn't speaking the Sermon on the Mount to, let's say, Americans in a middle-class, yeah, middle-class America. no. His audience didn't have any 401k. His audience probably didn't have a penny in a savings account. I'll say this again. If you have a penny in your savings account, you're rich. You're rich. Comparatively, you are rich. And my hope is that, you know, we, we get wiser with how we steward our money year after year, but we also get less attached to it. It's that It doesn't become our master. We need to get wiser with it because, yeah, we do have bills and, you know, for example, me, student loans and things like that. But, like, I don't want that to be my master. And my hope is that as I take care of these things over time, that I, it actually frees me up to be more generous. And that's part of my frustration. I, I want to I uh, be better with my money so that I have the freedom to be generous. And the other thing I wanted to say about this, because poverty in the world is real and it is an issue, it goes back to what was said in the previous passage. You know, in a sense, there are, in Jesus' day and in ours, there were people that did have the means to make a difference. <clears throat> and it's almost like the people who have the most also operate out of a scarcity mindset. They have the most, but they hoard it. They have the most and they try to obtain more, and it's never enough. And so that's what Jesus calls the evil eye that darkens the whole body. Or reveals that the body is, has no light in it at all. Going back to last week's passage. But the generous eye, the haplous eye as we talked about. The eyes that is holy and devoted to God implies that it's generous. And great Old Testament passages will probably take to the blog about this. And um, those people see the world as, hey, 
Look at all that God has provided for me. I have enough. In fact, I, I, I have a little bit more than enough and therefore I can give that to those who have need. If all the church and the world partnered together to see that we have enough and gave out the abundance of what we have, there would not be any poverty in the world. So let me just summarize what I'm trying to say so far with this. There's not a lack of resources. There's not a lack of God's providence in the world. There's a lack of our stewardship with God's providence. And I'm slapping myself in the face here on this one too. This is not me preaching to you. This is me preaching to myself here if you happen to listen, amen. That's why I want to become wiser with how I steward my money, to take care of uh, certain bills and uh, debt and so on, so that I am not a slave to mammon, that my life can see the opportunities and generously and freely give. That's my hope, guys, and I hope that's, that's a hope for all of us here as Jesus followers. Um, and so, concerning the birds of the sky, uh, it's, it, again, using the Martin Luther quote, I just love it again, I just want to say, God provides food for the birds, but he does not drop it into their beaks. Let's still work for it, okay? <laughs> but he provides. And, and first case study example is, aren't you worth more than they? And the implied answer of this rhetoric is yes, you are worth more than the birds of the scare. The scare. <laughs> the birds of the air. In some ways, we're, we're, we're supposed to take notice of nature and notice the inherent, if you will, uh, trust that is built into the fabric of nature, both in animals, but then also what we'll see with flowers. There's just a trust that the birds, although probably not conscious of like worshiping God or whatever, have in creation and in God as their provider. And how we have a distrust. We're prone to that. All because the fall, of course. And the irony of the biblical story is that, you know, rebuilding trust, as we psychologically know, is a hard thing to do. And yet, we're the ones that broke trust with God. And yet, he's the one taking initiative to rebuild and reconcile the trust that has been broken. Him being at zero fault, he's taking all the initiative and we are just responding. And yet the process, because rebuilding this trust and this freeing ourselves of the life of worry is certainly a process. It's not something we just switch on. It's us coming around to seeing the goodness of the Father, that he cares. Let's keep reading, verse 27 and so on. Can any of you add one moment of his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yeah, I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. Let's stop there for a second. So we just uh, ended at verse 30. The flowers of the field. God is, in, Jesus is inviting us to, if you will, stop and smell the flowers and learn about God's providence from it. You know, I love both the examples of the birds and the flowers. And honestly, let, let's not cap it there. I don't think that's Jesus' point. Oh, only look at those examples. Look at much more. Jesus is saying, take, uh, use nature, use the world as your classroom to learn about God's providence. Take note. Even in a fallen, broken world that even nature is subject to the fall. And as Romans 8 talks about, even nature is awaiting to be glorified. Nature is waiting to fall, uh, sorry, not fall, but be lifted from the curse of sin. Even in a broken world where nature experiences the brokenness of the fall, 
We are to take notes from nature on God's fatherly care. And if, if the father takes care of the flowers, if he clothes them, man, I just pictured this divine gardener here. If he clothes them, how much more you? You of little faith. Little faith. You know, one of the things I've been thinking through on this passage is like, is this. God will not be a better gardener to the flowers than a father to me. I want to say that again. God will not be a better gardener to the flowers than a father to me. And I'm to trust him because because he cares for me more than the flowers that he does love. God loves the flowers. He clothes them. He takes care of them. He delights in them. But he's not a better gardener to the flowers than he is a father to me and to you. That's some ways that the, the trust that is being rebuilt is something that we are really struggling with and wrestling with. Let's keep reading verses 31 and th- through 34. So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, aka the pagans, eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I just love the honesty of this passage. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus doesn't say that life isn't hard. In this broken world, it is hard. He's not saying, oh, why are you making life harder than it is? Life is hard enough as it is. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't get into the theoretical of tomorrow. Guess what? Your father who provides for you is already in that tomorrow. Be present in today. In fact, you can be present in the day without worry, straining your energy and having the negative effects that many studies have shown cause premature aging through intense anxiety. And it it, it really doesn't matter what your anxiety comes from. If your anxiety is about very valid and things, or if it's about something as, in this case, um, like daily providence and daily prevent, uh, yeah, like no matter what the anxiety is about, it will cause problems for us. So here, of course, when it talks about, uh, you know, seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things will be provided for you, these are not all these things as in all of our greeds, all of our needs. Going back to last week's passage, if we're to have the haplu side, the generous side, the whole eye, this is not about, oh my gosh, like if I seek God's kingdom, he's going to give me everything my heart desires on this side of life. Not, not exactly. You see, I think part of the journey of discipleship is almost a journey of simplicity, a journey of, dare I say, minimalism, a, a journey of finding so much joy in so much less, finding so much joy in so much less that we can get out, give out the abundance. That's the abundant, abundance mindset. You know, worry sees what I don't have while gratitude celebrates what I do have. If worry gets me to see what I don't have and fixate on that and pursue that and hoard everything I have until I get all that, gratitude is the flip side of that coin and the complete opposite and the inherent subtext invitation of what Jesus is inviting us to. Gratitude celebrates what I do have. It fixes our eyes on what we do have. And the thing about greed is it causes anxiety. And this is the deep irony of human existence. According to Jesus' teachings, when people seek to keep everything together and provide for themselves apart from God, the result is not sought after peace, but rather anxiety. 
That is, there's there's an organic connection between the warning against greed in the previous passage and the exhortation against anxiety in this passage. Greed causes anxiety. And as we know, worry can not only not add a single moment from your life, but it strips you from the moment and strips you from the health of that moment too. So um, uh, the the imperative in this part of it, the command in the Greek is in the aorist tense, which uh, just as a note here, this worry is don't worry is this like characterizing life as a whole and it's saying don't worry. It's, it's, it's telling us not to worry and to characterizing life as, you know what, don't let worry dominate your life. And you know what, that wasn't the best articulated, but here's what I mean by that. Worry is going to happen. Worry is going to come into our minds. What you do with that worry is a big difference. Does it settle in your mind? Does it carry with you and weigh on your shoulders the rest of your day? Or do you say, you know what? Nope, I, I, I have this temptation worry right now. I have this worry that's even in my brain right now. I need to turn this over to the Father. I need to go for a walk and smell the flowers and remember how God takes care of the flowers. He is not a better gardener to the flowers than he is a father to me. It's practicing. I need to take a walk. I need to look at the birds of the sky. And you know what? Broaden out. I need to see that every star in the night sky has its name and he put in place them there. I need to know that God is not a better creator to creation than a father to me. As we close today, um, there was one part of this passage that I wanted to end with, and I purposely saved it for the end. It's in verse 32, and it says, For the Gentiles, or, you know, the pagans, eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You know what is characterized by the life of worry? Well, the pagan life is characterized by a life of worry. The pagan life, the, the life that does not have God, the life that pursues God in all the wrong places, and maybe even in all the wrong faith systems, the life that is not in the God of the Bible, that does not find him, that does not rest in him, his life that is characterized by worry about all these things. You know what it is? Sometimes I fall into this trap. Sometimes my worries make me look more like a spiritual orphan than a child of the Heavenly Father. And this just reveals to me how often I miss out of being present with God because I'm uh, using today worrying about tomorrow. And I don't want us to live like a spiritual orphan when I do have a father, a father who cares, a father who knows my needs and will provide, and a father who calls me instead of worrying about uh, the troubles of tomorrow and providence, to work hard and to seek the kingdom and all the other priorities when the kingdom is sought first, bar none. When God is my master, bar none. When heaven is my treasure, bar none. And when I have a healthy eye, that sees the goodness of God through um, as the lens and perspective of everything I see, everything else. Not only will gratitude flood my life, not only will worry be a hard thing to uh, inhabit into all my mind, but I really believe this is what makes for us to be healthier and whole Christians that compels us to make a lasting difference in the world. So I've said this already, but I'm going to say this one more time. Worry sees what I don't have. Gratitude celebrates what I do have. So now, I have one last question for you as we close. Have you considered the flowers of the field today? My prayer is that you consider the flowers and that you remember that God is not a better gardener to the flowers than he is a father to you. 
We'll see you next time on Adventures in Theology.